What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. On today's podcast, we're continuing our serial, Time Slingers Season 1, the online time travel adventure series, which we turned into a novel. And now we've turned into an audiobook. Last week, we published Episode 3, and this week, we're diving into Episode 4. Don't miss my writer's commentary on our Patreon account, where I break down our thoughts on time travel and storytelling. If you become a supporter of the Story Geeks podcast on Patreon for only $3 a month, you unlock the writer's commentary every week, and you unlock the full audiobook when it's completed, which means you don't have to sit through these intros and outros that I'm recording. All $3 a month supporters and above will receive the uninterrupted audiobook and my writer's commentary for no additional cost. And $3 a month is the tier that most people support us at. So anything at $3 a month or above, you get access to the writer's commentary and the full-length audiobook. Physical and digital copies of Time Slingers Season 1 are available on Amazon if you prefer not to listen to me read it to you. And if you don't want to become a patron, you can purchase the full audiobook as soon as it's finished. Links to all of those things are in the show notes, or you can head over to patreon.com slash thestorygeeks or reclamationsociety.org slash timeslingers for more info. Time Slingers Season 1 is produced by the Reclamation Society. In our last episode, Marcus Klein continued to influence Henry Ellis, the NASA engineer working on the Apollo program, while Hector Salazar and Jack Harrington deal with the bounty hunter that the XLS hired. All right, let's jump back in. Here's episode four of Time Slingers. Episode four. April 6th, 1970, Sitgo Gas Station, Orlando, Florida. The communicator chirped. You're behind schedule. It has to look like a mistake. Or chance. We need to find holes, otherwise they'll... Said Lee. Track it back to us. I understand, said Klein. He glanced at his watch. Henry would be there any minute. You'll have them tonight. Do you have access to the... Not yet. I will. What about the Fra Mara operation? It's on track. I have to go. He's almost here. Send them as soon as possible. A pair of headlights breached the horizon. Klein terminated the call and watched as Henry pulled into the quiet gas station. A single light above the station attendant's booth flickered. The soft hum of country music played on the radio amidst the attendant's snores. Klein walked to Henry's sedan and leaned into the car window. Henry's face was pallid. I've, I've got everything. Everything I could find. Good. Another pair of headlights appeared. Henry's eyes darted up to the rearview mirror. A police car. Henry fidgeted and threw a worried glance at Klein, who frowned. The squad car rolled into the gas station and the officer stuck his head out the window. That you, Henry? What brings you all the way out here this time of night? I, uh... Me, actually, said Klein. Car broke down. I needed a ride and didn't know who else to call. The officer eyed Henry. You all right? You look a little... Uh, sick, said Henry. Uh, just sick. Right. Hey, you mind if I take a look at your vehicle? Klein smiled. That's not necessary, but thanks. I'd like to take a look. You never know. The officer got out of his vehicle and moved toward Klein's rental car. Klein pulled a memory-erasing injector and fell into step behind him. In one swift motion, he shoved the needle into the officer's neck and pulled the injector's trigger. The officer slumped down onto the asphalt. You killed him? He's fine, just unconscious. He won't remember what happened or how he got here, said Klein. Now, those reports. 
Henry swallowed hard and handed Klein a briefcase. Good work, Henry. Go home. Forget this all happened. You've been a huge help. That's it? That's it. But, Henry started. Just go home, Henry. The engineer nodded and guided his sedan back out onto the highway. Klein engaged his data pad's communicator while shaking his head at the cataleptic police officer. I've got them. Back to April 4th, 1970, Wedgefield Motel, outside Orlando, Florida. <laughs> Hector took the energy blast in the chest and was thrown back onto the asphalt. Energy crackled up and down his spine and through his sprawled out limbs. His eyes raced back and forth as he tried desperately to move. The bounty hunter checked the car to make sure Jack was still incapacitated. Hector's warning cry came out as a gurgle. Wide-eyed, he studied her features. Young and lithe, black hair, dark eyes. A tattoo, two feathers bound with a leather cord and beads, ran from her neck to her shoulder. She knelt over Hector to fasten a pair of inhibitor cuffs. Her stare was cold and sharp, with the empty pupils of a trained killer. His eyes flashed as though he wanted to speak. Suddenly, the rental car roared to life, jolted forward, and skidded to a stop next to the bounty hunter. The passenger side door burst open. A blast of energy rocketed out. The bounty hunter took the haphazard shot in the hip and torso. Her legs buckled. Jack tossed the energy rifle aside and grabbed Hector's arms. Though still weak, Jack managed to slide Hector across the loose gravel to the car door. The bounty hunter pushed herself up onto her elbows. A shielded vest had protected her from the blast's full power. Jack pulled Hector up into the front seat as the bounty hunter rose to her knees. Hang on, said Jack. The bounty hunter took steady aim with her gun. Jack closed the car door behind Hector and fumbled with the stick shift. The bounty hunter fired. The rushed, haphazard shot plowed into the gravel a few feet from the car. Fighting against muscle failure, the bounty hunter steadied her rifle and aimed. Jack stomped on the accelerator. The squealing tires kicked up loose gravel as Jack maneuvered the car out onto the highway. He checked the rearview mirror as the motel faded into the background, but the bounty hunter didn't try for another shot. Oh, that was close. How'd they find us, said Jack. That wasn't a known XLS operative. Never seen her before. I have. Hector stared at the road. His answer came in a weak grunt, just louder than a whisper. She's my sister. April 9th, 1970. Henry Ellis's home, Orlando, Florida. Klein paused at the front door. Operation Yamato's success hung in the balance. Command had analyzed the mission notes Henry had provided. They had worked out a scenario that would be difficult for the Union or the local authorities to trace, but it meant gaining access to the spacecraft itself. He pounded on the door. A light came on. Footsteps padded toward the entryway. It's me. Henry opened the door and finished tying his robe. What are you doing here? Didn't you get what you wanted? Change of plans. Take me to your office. What? Your office, Henry. His gaping mouth clamped shut. No! No, I can't! That wasn't part of the deal. I got you the reports. It launches in less than two days. Which is why we can't wait. If we're caught... Klein slapped the manila folder against Henry's chest and pushed past him into the entryway. If we don't do something now, we're going to have three dead astronauts and pieces of spacecraft all over Florida. Henry opened the folder. Three fraudulent photographs of his supervisor and a top-secret report spilled out onto the floor. The phony documents were convincing. 
He knelt and shuffled through them. What's this? Is that Kevin? He's working for the Russians. That's impossible. He goes to my church. I know him. You know who he wants you to know. We need more evidence. Access to his personal files, his workstation. Those astronauts could die. I need access to the Kennedy Space Center now. Klein grabbed the car keys and tossed them to Henry. You don't know what you're asking. I stole those documents for you. Now you want me to take you to a maximum security area? This is insane. I need some kind of protection. I won't do this without guarantees. Taken care of. Klein lifted a sealed envelope with Henry's name scrawled across it. Henry stared at the envelope for a long moment. When he finally snapped out of his reverie, he swallowed hard. I'll get changed. Thanks for listening to episode four of Time Slinger season one. We'll be back next week with episode five, so make sure you're subscribed. Stay tuned after this outro. I'll play a clip from my exclusive behind the scenes commentary where I talk a little more about this episode. If you want to access the full commentary on each episode, support us on Patreon at $3 a month or more. $3 a month is the most popular tier, but you can go to $5 a month and get access to contributor content and a bunch of other cool stuff. So you're not just limited to $3 a month. You can go above that, but that's where the access to the audiobook and the writer's commentary exists. That's all over at patreon.com slash the story geeks. Your support enables us to do even more serials like this, which we really want to do. So please consider supporting us. If you want to binge listen to Time Slingers Season 1, you can order the entire audiobook when it's complete. Or if you prefer to just read it yourself, you can get a print or digital copy on Amazon.com. Links to all of those items are in the show notes, or you can find more info at patreon.com slash thestorygeeks, or head over to reclamationsociety.org slash timeslingers. Episode 4 was written and read by me, Jay Shear. Nathan Sheck illustrated this book and serves as a story consultant on all the Reclamation Society projects. Timeslinger Season 1, including Episode 4, was produced by the Reclamation Society. Here's a clip from my exclusive audio commentary, and I'll catch you next week for Episode 5. Episode 4 is probably one of my favorite, if not... If not my favorite episode, it's one of my favorite episodes because there's just so much going on. We have um, things with Henry Ellis are escalating. He's handing over stuff. We get the local police involved. We up the ante with the tension. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, and then we have the the big reveal. One of the biggest reveals uh, in, in the book is that the bounty hunter that the XLS has hired is Hector Salazar's sister. At least he thinks she is. And so him thinking that is really important to the rest of the story because now what do you do if someone who you believe is your enemy is actually a family member who, um, who we'll learn more about later. But I love that we have that tension because we have the tension between Henry Ellis who wants to do the right thing. He's not really a bad guy. He's trying to help out who he believes to be the FBI. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where then you have Marcus Klein is trying to manipulate him. And I think that's a really good tension. And then you have, could there be family drama? And honestly, it doesn't even matter if it, if it, if they are family members or not, it doesn't matter as much because Hector thinks that she is, and that's really important. So, uh, so I don't know. Episode four ends up being one of my favorites for those reasons.